We'll now turn all the way down to the back of the Bible to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to hear from verse 8 to 22. You can find that on page 1049 of the, uh, the Pew Bibles. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Here endeth the reading. I've got an old saying, you've probably heard me say it before. Um, if you haven't, uh, oh, thanks, Chris. If you haven't, I'm going to say it now. And if you have, please be patient with me. That's a dose of the ghost. All of a sudden, it's working. <laughs> Not that I understand these things, but I can see it's working. So I thank you, Lord, for that. Uh, let's bow our heads. Oh, Lord, we come to you now humbly. Uh, wanting to be faithful and wanting to receive your word. Please write the words of your word on our hearts today that we may draw closer to you and maybe even bring you glory. Amen. So, it's good to be back here and I, uh, I really love coming. So I've got a, you know, now and a half drive if I'm coming at peak hour. It's 55 minutes if I'm coming on Sunday morning. But the destination is worth the difficulty of the journey. So I'm really pleased to be back. And thank you for the, for the welcome. 
uh, that, that you guys have given me last week and continue to do so this week. So I'm going to give some credit to Pete. He did what I believe was a near perfect uh, a leading in, into this sermon today. It's Christmas time, isn't it? And it seemed to me that as I was preparing the, uh, the, the sermon outlines, or the, the topics, that it would be good to look at some witnessing. Pete did that really well. Thanks, brother. And uh, it's Christmas time. We get better opportunities to witness than we do normally through the year. Because at least Christ is on our lips. Probably more than normal and less than just being used as a swear word. And so I hope these thoughts may, uh, may be of value to you. Now, I have to blatantly confess about 80% of this sermon I stole, but I can't even tell you who I stole it from. I would if I could, but I have to say that not all this content's mine, but this content is so good. I thought this is worth stealing. So I've plagiarised it, but I'm not claiming credit for it. So it says in that Peter, the passage that um, Jeff just read out from 1 Peter, be always ready to give an account for the hope that is within you. Little instruction there that I've known for a long, long time. You know, it's like John 3.16 at first. Be ready to give an account for the hope that is within you. So what I want to do, I want to look at two questions or two assertions that non-Christians make when they're dealing with Christians that are trying to witness. So what we're going to do now, we'll look at now, is a true story of a US radio interview 12 years ago. A discussion between a Christian and a proud atheist. Now this, this, uh, this interview, I think, really caught the interviewer out because this guy's witness is quite wonderful. And so I hope that this can equip us with a takeaway because the two most common questions I think I've ever found when talking to people about Jesus are that your God is unreasonable, I'm a good person, I should be led into heaven, or words to that effect. The second great one is that Christians are narrow-minded, too narrow-minded, there are many paths to heaven. Now, if you haven't heard of either of those, put your hand up. Now, we've all heard of at least one of those being used against us, haven't we? Probably both of them, maybe a lot more. So this is a US radio interview. It's not just in, in Australia we get these comments. It's a little bit wider. So I want to address the first one. I am a good person. When somebody comes to you, they want to witness, or you've been witnessing to them, they say, I am a good person. Now, this guy, whose name I don't remember, the Christian, is speaking to an atheist on, the, on his radio show. And this guy... The atheist says to the Christian, I don't want the Bible, I don't want good verses and I don't want God talk. So the, the Christian was kind of nobbled straight off, wasn't he? About what he was allowed to say. So here it goes. The atheist says, no Bible, no verses, no God talk. Your God is unreasonable, my viewpoint is valid. I'm a good person, so I should be let into heaven. If your God doesn't let me into heaven, he is guilty of a hate a hate crime. If your God doesn't let me into heaven, he is guilty of a hate crime. Now, as I reflect upon that comment, I reckon the guy's lucky he lasted the interview after bringing accusations against God. 
What arrogance, what unmitigated arrogance to think that he can call God to account, that he can bring charges against God. But he did. So the Christian replies, remember the question is, I'm a good person, statement. He says, suppose you find the best home in the nation, the most expansive views, the most expensive 360 degree views around the house and it's a perfect location. This is in America, it's not in Mongolia. It's not in Vietnam, it's not in India. This is the best house in the nation, in the US. So you can imagine, it's a fairly high standard. Now you probably can't because I couldn't even imagine what those houses would look like. Nevertheless, the Christian comes back. Suppose you find the best home in the nation the most expensive with the most delightful location. Then you go and you knock on the front door of that house and you say, you are a good person and I'm moving into your house. It's a good house. I'm a good person. Let me in. Now, it's not going to be hard, is it? The owner's knock on the door, answer the door. What's the owner going to say? Uh-uh. I don't know you. I don't have a relationship with you. You don't have a relationship with us. There was no relationship established. Now, while we're talking about relationship, I'm going to take a diversion and get back to this little story from Matthew 7. I wonder if these are the two, three most uh, fearsome verses in the Bible. Matthew 7, 21 and 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy on that day that the Lord returns? Did we not prophesy in your name, perform many miracles and cast out demons? Then I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now this is more a threat to Christians and non-Christians because non-Christians are never going to be able to claim they try to do things for the Lord. A scary verse. You know what's happened to these people in my imagination that have gone and cast out demons, they've gone and prophesied, they've done miracles in Jesus' name. I think what they've done is created Jesus in their image rather than, uh, than them being created in Jesus' image. Because we get back to the old talk of works. I did these things for you, so it shows I'm a Christian. Jesus is saying, no, it doesn't. You see, we're back in that battle that Mary and Martha had um, when Jesus dropped in at their house one day. Most of us want to be uh, Martha's, and we don't want to be Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Because it's when you sit at the feet of the good Lord, that's when you get to know him. Jesus didn't die on the cross to gain our activity. Jesus died on the cross to gain our attention. Now the activity will do for the Lord, the prophecies, the miracles, the casting out of demons, whatever it is. The activity will come out of the relationship. Activity doesn't create relationships. Activity destroys relationships because you can't be with that person you're trying to relate to while you're being very active. Jesus came for our attention before he came 
for our activity. Now, the activity to Jesus is not wrong. The problem with the activity with Jesus, it squeezes out the times with him. So you don't get to know the good Lord. So we have, even us as Christians, can create a Jesus in our image of someone to work for, but not somebody to sit with. Be a Martha, not a Mary. See, these guys, their good deeds didn't get them into heaven. Their good deeds didn't, enter the th- didn't take them into the throne room of the Lord. It's the sitting with Jesus that makes the difference. Guys, who's heard of Richard, Richard Raw, Catholic priest? Absolute genius, this man. Um, I don't certainly agree with where he goes with his geniusness. Is that such a word, geniusness? No English teachers here? Good, thank you. I don't know where he goes with his geniusness. He says, Men have made Christianity into an established religion. One could be greedy, warlike, racist, selfish and vain in most of Christian history and still believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Saviour. But this is not the Father who has made Christianity. He's different. This does not reflect the Jesus of Calvary because if Jesus is coming into my life, he's coming in to to change my life not to leave me where I was. So, the, the conversation now goes back to the radio interview. And the Christian says to the fellow uh, who's doing the radio interview, who's interviewing him, you have gone through life all your days, denying God, rejecting his forgiveness, using his name as a swear word, refusing his ways, ignoring him, and with your back to him. And you expect to get let in? You deny, Jesus, you deny Jesus is the Son of God, which says he's the only way to his house. Then at the end of your life, you go back and knock on his door and demand to be allowed in. But what has goodness got to do with it? Because you don't even know him. What has goodness got to do with it? You don't even know him. Now here's this to my mind is the genius part of this first point that I've stolen. God offers to be our father time and time again throughout our life, but you keep pushing him away. God is your creator, yes, but he's not your father until he becomes your saviour, until we want to know him. He's not your dad until you invite him to be. And it is unreasonable to let you in without a relationship. Now what, the, what this speaker does, this Christian does, is drawing a difference between the fatherhood and the dadhood. That's another word, isn't it? Dadhood. It's due today. Um, the dadhood of, of the scriptures. Now, guys, I've got no idea who my dad is. Or was. I don't know if he's still alive. I've got no idea. Never had a relationship with him. But I had a father because my, my sister and I were adopted. Now, my father was not my dad, but my dad I knew. My father was only my creator. That is all. We must get this right. Because the father who is the creator also wants to sit with his son or daughter. 
So that's when I, he becomes my dad or your dad. Because there's relationship there. It's not activity. So I must get this right in my own soul as much as those listening to me witness need to get this right. He's your father, but it doesn't mean he's your dad. Because my dad was a good man, he was a gentleman, he raised me very, very well. But my father I do not know. And I can't, I never will. So we need to get this right, the difference between fatherhood and dadhood. Because those that know Jesus or the Father in heaven as their dad, they're the ones that are in relationship. And you don't get to run relationships by mowing the lawn past him all the time. Second point, Christians are too narrow-minded. Christians are too narrow-minded there are many ways to heaven, said the radio announcer. Then the Christian replies, suppose I invite you to dinner at my house and tell you the way. Now just imagine, actually I'm going to see, have lunch with God today, aren't I? Now, I think I know the way, but I'm going to check it with you before I go. So you've got to get the direction correct. So the Christian says, when you leave this, um, this studio, you come out of the door, you turn left, you go down to a T-intersection, you turn right, and you go along that road for four or five miles and you see a big hill and you've got to turn up onto that big hill and we're at the top of that hill and we're in a cul-de-sac. Now if you do that, you'll get to my place. Come out, turn right, turn left, go down the road, go up to the top of the hill, you're in my place. But the announcer's thinking, I reckon I know another way to the top of that hill where you live. So I'm going to go out, instead of turning right, I'm going to turn left. And then I'm going to turn left again and I'm going to go straight ahead down what becomes a freeway. And then when I get to the freeway, I'll turn off the freeway and I'll come up to your place. But that's not going to get him anywhere he's, where he's going to go. It's not going to get him to the place he needs to be at. There's only one road to this man's house and it's on top of the hill. He takes a freeway and he goes, zips, zips right past it. Now, you decide you know the way, so you head out in your direction. You haven't headed out the way I told you to head out, says the, um, the Christian. And you reckon that there are many roads to heaven? But you won't even be able to get to my house. What I am doing, the Christian says to the radio announcer, I'm giving you very clear directions. I am making it very specific. It's not being narrow-minded, it's just being clear. There is only one road to my house. It's on top of the hill and it's a cul-de-sac. You can't come in from the other side because there's no other side. See, what Jesus is saying to us when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. Well, there's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. How beautiful it is for the feet to bring good news. There's a myriad of those verses in the New Testament. What Jesus is doing for us is being specific. He's not being narrow-minded. He's being specific. Because he's not trying to keep us out. He's actually trying to get us in. He has given the easiest and the clearest of directions. Not to keep us out, but to get us in. And don't you reckon that's genius? I did when I, when I first read that. Oh, that that's, that's clear. That's as clear as crystal. So being a follower of Jesus is no mere intellectual assent. It is to believe in Jesus. It is to accept his ways. 
repentance. And believers do not write treaties with sin. They want to be in a relationship with the Lord, not separated from the Lord. We don't write treaties with sin. Now, last time I was here, I'd been to Mongolia, hadn't I? Talked a bit about that. It's going to pop up. I went to India in May. In, in India, I didn't count the people. I can't count this high. But I was told there are 1.35 billion people in, in India. I stayed in this, uh, this township called Rajamundri. And there's half a million people live in this township. Half a million people. Now, it's really hot. It's in the south of India. It's in the tropics. I've got nice, some nice fruit we don't get, I'll tell you that. Now, on the streets in Rajamundri, oh, by the way, did I say it's only got one set of traffic lights? No, it's only got one set of traffic lights and no one stops at it anyway. <laughs> so the outside of being fearsome, um, completely fearsome, fill me with fear many times, I'm glad I wasn't driving, the place is littered. Oh, that's not a nice word. I can't think of a better word though. I'll use littered with people that are sleeping on the sides of the road or sleeping in the middle of um, roundabouts. When they have a big roundabout, they build a roundabout about a metre off the ground. So I guess that's to stop people from cutting across the roundabout. And there you see these people. It's really hot. They've only got loincloths on. Completely emaciated. And I thought of that passage in John 14, oh, it's somewhere in there, where Jesus said, in my house there are many rooms, in my mansion there are many rooms. And I'm thinking there wasn't even enough rooms in India for all the people. They just lie on the streets in the tropics in a blazing sun. Some of them would lie in the temple forecourts. There's 1.35 billion. But Jesus has got a place, a house of many rooms, a mansion of many rooms. There's space for all of us. He's already secured that. India has it. God has secured that for us. He wants us in his house. He has ample space. Jesus is trying to keep people out of hell, not send them there. He's just, give them, he's just giving them clear directions. That's why he's saying it's the only way, because there is only one way. You need to listen. I want you with me. I don't want you apart from me, Jesus is saying. God's directions are super simple. He wants us to find the way. He wants us in and not out. He wants us not. He doesn't want us hot. Does that make sense? i tie this all together. When the Titanic set sail, there were all races and faiths of people from, the, from all walks of life on the Titanic. 2,240 people, last count, that I can remember. And on that boat, there were three classes. After it sank, the Starline Company office in London would daily put up update signs. But it didn't put update signs in three categories. Whoops, three categories. It only put update signs in two categories. <coughs> Excuse me. The first sign they put outside the door was the names of people that were known to be saved. The second sign they put on the door was those that were known to be lost. Because at the end, 
there are still only ever two classes, per, two classes of people. Those that are going to be hot and those that aren't going to be hot or not. It's only ever going to end up in two classes of people. So can I encourage you, it is Christmas time, as you may have more opportunity to witness, because Christ's name gets, uh, gets, becomes more present. Take courage. Put away the sin and separate yourself from the world. Be holy, he says, as I am holy, for these are the ones that are known to be saved. The ones who are walking in holiness, which is separation from the remainder of the world. Recall those two points, please. Unbending, unyielding, world-resisting, strong-minded Christian faith is now the order of the day. Let me read that again. Unbending, unyielding, world-resisting, strong-minded Christian faith is now the order of the day. The Lord's strongest counsel is now to give give no quarter and be always ready to give an account for the hope that is within you. Let's bow our heads. We thank you, Lord, that you have made your word clear in our hearts. Oh, Lord, that we would take a step closer to that relationship today and another step tomorrow towards you until we meet you. And, Lord, give us that courage and wisdom and words to be ready to give an account for the hope that is within us. Amen.